come before you. I want to thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet. Help us to understand it, Lord. Help us to live by it, Lord, not just to hear it, but to actually do it. Father, we know that your end goal for all of us is to learn to love you and to learn to love each other. And we pray that, Lord God, you'd help us to do that because that is not necessarily uh, within our uh, physical DNA, Lord. We'll thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's interesting. I, um, I, when I went on vacation a couple of weeks ago, I really, in, in my studying and my reading, I really had a further discovery of how much God loves us. You know, God loves you. And we don't really understand that very well, do we? I mean, when it comes right down to it, we really don't understand God's love. In looking over the scriptures, I can't believe how many scriptures have this word love and obey in them. To obey God is to love him, and to love God is obey him. And in John chapter 14, I'm going to read to you starting in verse 21. It says here, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. I too will love him and show myself to him. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's examine that for just a minute. Whoever has my commands and obeys them. Listen, we're not under the law anymore, okay? Under the law of Moses. So, you know, we don't um, come to God on the basis of the law. We come to God on the basis of grace. But you know what? On the basis of grace, we still have hundreds and hundreds of commands that God tells us to do. He tells us how to live, and he tells us how not to live, doesn't he? You could turn to almost any page in the New Testament, and you could find an imperative mood in the Greek, which uh, indicates a command. Listen to just a couple of things here that Jesus says, and these are not suggestions. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching." My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. He says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. You know, we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, who was the Son of God. God come in the flesh. And it says in the Bible, it says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect or mature, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest. 
in the order of Melchizedek. You know, God reveals himself to those who obey him. You know, is it hard to obey God? Think about this for just a minute. Is it hard to obey God? How important is one sin? How important is one act of disobedience? You know, we do it all the time, don't we? But how important is that? I'll tell you who to ask. You would ask Adam. Adam can tell you how important one act of disobedience is. It says in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 that the tempter came to Eve and he tempted her with this prohibition that God instructed Adam. You can, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but don't eat of that one tree. Now think about this, you know. Adam and Eve had perfect environment. Everything was provided for them. God had set them in, in a beautiful place. Adam had named the animals. Obviously, he was very intelligent. He had given Adam Eve because he said it wasn't good for a man to be alone. And yet, when Eve was tempted and gave the fruit to Adam... It, said, it says in Genesis 3 that he was standing right there with her. And he ate the fruit. You know, you would, you would think, you, you wish you could go back in time and say, no, Adam, don't do that. Some of us even are, uh, shall we say, brave enough to say, well, if I would have been there, I wouldn't have eaten of that fruit. Well, we have temptations that are far less severe than that, don't we? And we give in to them, don't we? You think about Cain. You know, so what happened is that Adam, and we're studying this on Wednesday night, what happened is that Adam and Eve, Eve was deceived, it says, and Adam sinned willfully, all right? And through Adam, through Adam's DNA, we and everyone else, every human being, received an old sin nature. Okay? We, even a baby, a little baby that is just born, has an old sin nature. What is the first, usually the first word that a baby learns? No. Right. Yeah, we're just contrary people with this nature that we have. And... You know, it's interesting because in Luke 18, Jesus said, will he find faith on the earth when he comes back? My question to me is, will he find faith in me? Jesus also said in, um, in Matthew chapter 24, he said, because of the increase in wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. We're certainly seeing an increase in wickedness in the world, are we not? You know, we see parents that abandon their children. We see children that uh, rebel against their parents. We see husbands and wives that can't get along, neighbors. And the love of many is growing cold. But Jesus said, if you love me 
you will obey my commandments. Did you know that Satan has a strategy for each one of you? Satan has a strategy designed for each one of us. You may say, well, I'm not that important. Oh, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. You're a child of God, and when you became a child of God, you got a target on your back. All right? Listen to this. In Luke 22, 3, Satan entered Judas. In Luke, excuse, yeah, Luke 22, 3. In Luke 22, 31, Satan asked to sift Peter as wheat. Sift Peter as wheat. How do you sift wheat? Well, you put it through some kind of a grinder or something, don't you? Satan wants to put you through a grinder. He wants to put me through a grinder. And you know what? Everyone who, um, everyone who is a Christian will fall into a certain category. Listen to what it says here for the strategy toward unbelievers in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Let me read it to you, okay? This is Satan's strategy for unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It says this, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. That's very sad, isn't it? Satan's strategy toward unbelievers is to keep them in darkness, to blind their, their minds. What is Satan's strategy toward believers? Well, how about confusion? Maybe uh, mistrust or fear. You know, the Bible says there is no fear in perfect love. Perfect love drives out fear. Distractions or distortions of the Word of God. You know, we see in Eve's case, Satan came up to her and... You know, he's pointing out the tree and he says, well, you know, you ought to take a bite. And Eve says, well, no, the Lord told us not to bite that tree or not to touch it. Well, she added to the word of God that we don't have a record of him saying not, you don't have to touch it. He put the tree right in the middle of the garden. I mean, it was a focal point, no doubt about it. And what did Satan said? Satan says, oh, you shall surely not die. In so doing... He was intimidating that God didn't want Adam and Eve to know the special secret sauce of life, right? Oh, God just doesn't want you to know that. And what happened there is that Eve and Adam decided to do their own thing, didn't they? That's what they decided to do. A strategy for believers, Peter tells us that the strategy is this. He says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. You can turn there if you want to. I'll be in Matthew chapter 24. It's interesting, the very first thing, and I love this about this, and this wasn't planned for the message, but... You know, the disciples asked Jesus, what, when will the, the sign of your coming be? And the very first thing that he said to his disciples was, watch out that no one deceives you. Deception will be the first sign. 
And I'm telling you right now, we have deception. We have political deception. The stuff that these politicians are coming up with today is insane. You wonder how they come up with it. It doesn't even make sense. We have religious deception. Man, there are so many different deceiving spirits out in the world. The only thing that we can hope for is to stay true to this word of God. Listen to what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42. He says, therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. He says, but understand this. Now, if Jesus Christ tells us to understand something, we probably ought to understand it, don't you think? He says, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of, of night the thief was coming, he would, not, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Listen. We have seen, and I've, I've gone over this with you before, we'll go over it again sometime, how many prophecies, Bible prophecies, have been fulfilled since 1948. Now, I'm going to suggest that a good portion of our congregation here was alive in 1948. Okay? I wasn't. It was... 1968. Thank you. Yeah, I'll go for 68. That's a good one. In 48, Israel became a nation. Israel fought a war against the, the nations around them, the Arab nations around them. In 1967, they fought another war, which they gained the eastern part of Jerusalem. In, 19, in the 70s, they fought a couple more wars. And we see the nations around Israel coming together in a manner that the Bible predicts. We also see this thing with Iran and Iraq. Did you know that Iraq is where the Garden of Eden was? Somewhere in Iraq. And Iraq is just constantly in the news today. Iran. And, you know, if you think about it, the Tower of Babel, where was that? That was somewhere in Iraq. The Russians have a pact with Iran and Syria to defend them. And we are seeing more prophecy being fulfilled every single day right in front of our eyes. How important is it then to understand this? Keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. You know, guys, you ever known somebody that's always late to somewhere? Oh, don't look around. I see you looking around. You know, you tell them 10 o'clock and they're, they're there at 10 after 10. You're going... Why, why couldn't you get here at 10? Well, I just, you know, we see it all the time in church, you know. People, people leave a little later than they should, right? But you know what? Jesus is going to come back one of these days. And listen, my message to you and my message to me 
is we have to get our act together, my friends. We need to be researching and searching and craving to love God. The Bible says that um, we believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you know what that word diligently in the Greek portrays? It portrays a craving. A craving. Do you crave God? We need to crave God. He is coming back. He is our Savior. He's going to take us one of these days. If you're... Do you remember my... Um, do you remember my measuring tape uh, thing? Mm-hmm. For those of you who didn't see the measuring tape, I don't have a measuring tape with me. But if you... The average life expectancy for a man is roughly about 79 to 80. For a woman, it's a little over 80, about 81. So I took the measuring tape out and I put it to 81 inches, right? And it was, you know, I mean, that's basically seven feet, pretty close. And then I put my finger on the different notations on the measuring tape. If you're 50, that's how much you got left. If you're 60, that's how much you got left. If you're 70, you're about ready to bite the dust. <laughs> and it's amazing a visual, a visual to see the average life expectancy and you take your age and put it in there, how short the time is. The, the time is very short. Let me read something to you out of Ephesians chapter 6. Fortunately, God does not leave us empty-handed. Listen to what he says. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're talking about obedience and loving the Lord, okay? He says, finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I'm in Ephesians 6.10. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil has a scheme for you. It's perfectly tailored to you, and it's perfectly tailored to me. You know, the devil knows. He's got his G2 forces out there spying on you and me. He knows where our weaknesses are. He knows that one sin or two sins or three sins that are continually besetting us. How important is one sin? Pretty important, isn't it? Look at Cain. Cain allied himself with the ground, and the ground, because of Adam's sin, was cursed. Cain became a farmer, if you will, while Abel, it says, became a shepherd. When God, Adam and Eve, when they first sinned, they were embarrassed, and they were shamed, and they made, sewed fig leaves together, to cover their nakedness, right? Well, that was their own works. God made animal skins for them to cover them. How did he get the animal skins? There had to be a sacrifice of blood, didn't there? God showed Adam and Eve the future, that there would be a sacrifice of blood. That sacrifice would, of course, be God's Son, Jesus Christ. And everything in the Old Testament 
that had to do with the blood was a picture of Jesus Christ's death. Now, Abel brought an offering to the Lord. What offering did he bring? He brought the first fruit of his flock, didn't he? Okay, He brought the finest of the, 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 the sheep. And he sacrificed it before the Lord. What did Cain do? Cain brought in the first fruit of the ground, the ground that was cursed. His own works he brought. Listen, I planted this, I grew this, I cultivated it, I watered it, and I'm offering it to you. That's his works he was offering to God. And you know what God said? Listen, it's not good enough. Your works are not good enough to get you to heaven. I've already shown you what needs to have happen. You need, I need to have a sacrifice. There is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood, Hebrews says, right? It says Cain was angry. Now, what should have Cain's reaction been? Lord, I'm sorry, I guess I misunderstood that. I'm going to go to my brother Abel. I'm going to grab by or whatever, one of his lambs, and I'll bring it to you as a sacrifice. Instead, you know what Cain did? He went out in the field and he killed his brother. How did he kill his brother? He saw his brother sacrifice the lamb with the, lot, the knife, right? He probably killed him with the knife. Now, we don't know that for sure. But how bad was that sin? How bad was Cain's sin? How bad was Eve's deception? How bad was Adam's sin? One sin. And Adam disobeyed God. The Bible says this. God says, my commandments are not burdensome. Okay? What does he command us to do? Listen. We don't have to go out and cut the throats of lambs or turtle doves or, or cattle or rams or any of that stuff anymore. Jesus Christ was the sacrificial lamb and we gain access to God through him. Listen to what God says. The first and greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart. In the Greek, that is the word cardia. That is the word where we, where we get our word cardiac. Okay? Love Him with all your heart. What is the heart? Well, I'm glad you ask. Because I'm going to tell you here real quick, okay? Listen to what God says about the heart. He says this. It's your thoughts. It's your feeling. I love him with all my heart. It's your feelings. It's your thoughts. It's, 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 it's the closest thing that you can come to the, your innermost being. He says, love him with all your soul. The word soul in the Greek is suke. It means breath. Love him with all your breath. Love him with all your self-consciousness and your personality. With all your mind. Your thoughts, your ideas, your understanding, your viewpoints, and your strength, which is your abilities, your power, and your forcefulness. And the second commandment, he doesn't give us 631 commandments. He gives us one. Love God with all your, really, with all your being. Okay? 
innermost, outermost, strength, etc. And the second one is like this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. He says all of the prophets and all of the law rest on those two commandments. If you keep those two commandments, you'll keep all the rest of it. I'm not going to steal my, my neighbor's diesel truck. Right? I'm not going to, to poison his dog because he's barking all night. I'm going to love my neighbor as I love myself. Now listen, let's go back to Ephesians real quick and we'll finish off with there. Here's what Ephesians says. He says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That person that you don't like at work, that is a spiritual struggle. That's not a physical struggle. Okay? The bills at the end of the month that you're having trouble paying is a spiritual struggle. Your attitude is going to depend upon how your altitude goes. Okay? Now, it says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's his strategy against you. Satan has a strategy. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. You know, if we went around the congregation, I'm sure that we could get testimonies on when that day of evil came. I remember in my life, you know, there have been days of evil when my wife, who I, I loved a lot, decided that she was going to move to Las Vegas and become a dancer. Well, that was a day of evil. You know, it was. You, and I'm not saying necessarily for her, but it was a day of evil for me because it broke my heart. What was your day of evil? You know, will your, have your, has your day of evil already come and gone? Or will there be more? Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He says this, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Now this is a command. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. What is the belt of truth? Thy word is truth. Okay? Protect your innermost points with the word of truth. He says here, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, not self-righteousness, but God's righteousness. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I was talking to Rod this morning, and he said, you know, he said, a few weeks ago you said that 
we should pray for our enemies. Right? Pray for our enemies. He said, there was someone in my life that I just really didn't like. I really, in fact, I hated them. I hated this person. He says, and I, I took your advice. I started praying for him. And he says, you know what? I don't hate him anymore. Now, I don't like what they do, but I don't hate him anymore. It's real hard to hate someone you're praying for. God will convict you. Here, Lord, I pray for... Let me see if I can pick a name that isn't in this church. <laughs> uh, I pray for uh, Billy Joe. Okay? I just... Oh, Lord, you know how much I hate her. I pray that you'll kill her. No! Wait a minute, that wasn't my prayer. I pray that you'll come to her. Send your gospel to her. Help her with her life. Help her with these things that I see in her that bother me. Real hard to pray for someone and hate him at the same time. Listen to this. So have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Satan is continually shooting flaming arrows at us. It says in Job, in the first chapter of Job, that Satan went up before the Lord looking for somebody to accuse. And the Lord says, well, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Man, I don't want... Are you with me on this? I don't want... The Lord say, well, have you considered Steve? <laughs> Forget about me, Lord, right now. Just for that one second, okay? Satan wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy our fellowship with each other. He wants to destroy our relationship with God. Satan just doesn't flat out like us. Listen to what he says here. We'll finish with this. Take the helmet of salvation... And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. You know, folks, the time is getting short. It's getting shorter. The, you know, and I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but if you, if you look at 81 here, Okay, the, the average life expectancy today and put yourself wherever close you come to 81, that's how much time you have left. Okay, roughly. Maybe shorter than that. Maybe longer than that. Hard to know. Wouldn't it be best if we make the, the most out of the time we have, huh? Pray with me, would you? Dear Father in heaven, Forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Convict me in my heart to love you and to love my neighbor as myself. I'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record to you, but listen. We got to learn to love God, okay? We got to learn to love each other. That's important. 
That's what God commanded us to do. So if you don't like it, that's tough. <laughs> you don't have to like it. You've got to love it. Okay? That's the thing. Don't got to like your neighbor. You've got to love them. Do we have a song, John? Let's sing a song.